Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Braxton Hunter, and this is Trinity Radio. And today we're going to be talking about the deconversion testimony of one of the biggest atheist YouTubers. Cosmic Skeptic has been growing in popularity for a while among atheist YouTubers, and I think he's someone that we ought to pay attention to because, as far as I can tell, he's going to be one of the figures like Christopher Hitchens or like Sam Harris uh, when we think about the new atheist movement. I think he's the next uh, iteration of that because I think he's going to transcend YouTube atheism and become an academic voice uh, for atheism and other forms of activism in the future. And as a result, we Christians need to respond to, I think, every voice that's out there and give an answer, as we're called to do. But with a person like this, I think it's it's very important that we be prepared to do that in a robust way. And so he's been the focus of several videos that I've made, one that I've even made just here recently. But um, I, with the popularity of a video I did on the deconversion or the uh, spiritual deconstruction that Rhett from Good Mythical Morning did recently, I thought it'd be good to take a look at one of the more popular YouTube atheists and see what they say about their deconversion, quote-unquote deconversion experience. Um, and so we're going to do that in this video. Now, uh, I have a couple of—there's a couple of goals for this, uh, three goals uh, primarily. Number one, the first and foremost goal, the one that I'm most committed to, is that I want to be charitable to everything that Alex says. I want to make sure that I don't uh, present him in a way that I don't think he meant for his words to be taken. But this is going to require a little bit of psychologizing, a little bit of talking about um, what happens when we adopt and reject certain beliefs and what happens to us psychologically, emotionally, in our lives, things like that. So because it does require a little bit of psychoanalysis here, it may be that some of what I say often is the case with people, and I'm going to demonstrate that it's often the case, it might be that some of those things aren't necessarily what's going on with Alex. And so I want to, be, uh, I want to say that right up front. Um, I don't want to you know, characterize him differently than, than is fair. Uh, but I am largely going to rely on the things that he says about his own testimony, about his own deconversion. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, and I'm going to, but, but premise number one or point number one is I want to be charitable to Alex in this. I, I want to be cautious with my wording. And if I present him unfairly, I apologize, Alex, for that. Secondly, I want to speak to um, the Christian and atheist YouTube crowd. Because I think that it's important for us to analyze why it is that we adopt certain beliefs, why we reject them. Is it really about the evidence as much as we think that it is? Is, is it entirely about the evidence? And to what degree do our wants and our desires for certain answers uh, play a role? Because obviously that's a very controversial thing whenever we talk about people's uh, conversion and deconversion stories. And then <clears throat> lastly, I want to speak to church leaders and parents, because I think that the church really dropped the ball here. Now, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know the church that Cosmic Skeptic was a part of. I don't know those men and women who were leaders in those churches. I, I don't know anything about that. So I, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, and I'm only taking Alex at his word here. But if what Alex says is true, and I have no reason to doubt him, because I think it is a problem in a lot of places, I think that it could be that the uh, the inability to be ready and willing to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that it's within, uh, First Peter 3.15, I think that, that the inability or unpreparedness to do that or unwillingness to do that resulted in part in uh, probably one of the biggest voices on YouTube for atheism right now. And certainly many of our young people in churches, and not just young people, but certainly young people, um, are going to follow the same track, the same course that Alex took 
when people in the churches that they're a part of don't have answers either. And so we're going to take a listen, and those are kind of the goals, the the, the groups that I want to hit. And uh, again, uh, the part of the part of the reason for this is because I think it helps us to understand the urgency um, of being ready to talk about these things. And I think it also serves as a warning to pastors and church leaders, but it also helps us to understand why we believe what we believe and how we get there. So let's begin now looking at uh, Cosmic Skeptic as he was interviewed by Godless Engineer. By the way, this is from uh, a few years ago, and uh, that means that it's not like cutting-edge news or anything. But Alex's story is Alex's story, and this is where I found it. And so I think it's important for us uh, to hear him there, and let's take a listen now. Were you, like, vocal about it with uh, anybody really or did you kind of keep it to yourself like you're questioning well it was I, I wouldn't say I challenged anybody on it but I was definitely intrigued so I would speak to mainly my teachers in uh, religious uh, education lessons <laughs> education quote-unquote um, certainly certainly remember sort of asking a lot of questions um, nowadays when we have discussions about religion in like philosophy classes or whatever um, I'm much more sort of um, uh, it's more it's, it's in, a, in a more sort of challenging nature so I'll sort of take what's being said and I'll critique it and, and look at sort of other viewpoints but back then it was genuinely just interest it was you know you know there must be some kind of answer this is my, my teachers and God definitely exists so there has to be some kind of explanation so I'd go to the teacher and say you know miss why why is there all this suffering in the world um, well I, I, I don't know God works in mysterious ways you ask your priest you know why is, why is there suffering in the world? Why do people, innocent people die? Um, you know, oh, well, we can never know the mind of God. Coming from, you know, the people, the same people who were telling me certain rules and, and, and doc, uh, doctrinal facts, which were, you know, they were so certain of, to then say, well, actually, no, we don't understand sort of what God wants or what he, it's like, it, it started to really mess with my mind. Um, and then you turn to other explanations because the, the next thing, the next logical step for me of, of in that time was to just, um, I think it was Ask Jeeves back then um, that I was using, um, you know, looking at sort of God and looking at um, why these things might be happening. And I suddenly realized it was like opening the floodgates to all of these other worldviews that I didn't even know existed. Um, one of which happened to be secularist or uh, atheistic sort of worldviews. I, I try to refrain from saying an atheistic worldview. Um, but when I say an atheistic worldview, I mean any worldview which doesn't involve deity generally. Um, and that blew my mind, you know, the thought that there are people who don't believe in God. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, after I did that, I started to realize that there are much more rational explanations from sort of different worldviews than Christianity. And they were much more sure of themselves. Um, I was I was getting fed up of nobody being able to answer my questions. Um, and so when I found people who could, I started thinking maybe, um, you know, what they're teaching is, is more... Uh, more appropriate to the things that I want to, the questions that I want answered. Okay, so I should have said this before we began, but so Cosmic Skeptic, Alex O'Connor, uh, began having questions about the problem of evil. Uh, why would a loving God allow for these things to happen when he could stop it, when he knew about it, all those kind of things. So he started asking, as you heard him say, the religiously informed leaders of his day. He went to his uh, teachers, he went to the priest, he went to everybody, and it's just God works in mysterious ways. We don't understand. Okay, now this is where I'm going to speak a little bit directly and, and somewhat boldly to pastors and church leaders out there and youth group leaders of any denomination of Christianity. That is simply not good enough. It's simply not good enough. This is one of the oldest questions in Christianity. In fact, it predates Christianity. 
Um, and so as a, it goes all the way back to Epicurus. And so as a result, we need to be able to give an answer. And I, I've, I've said this in many videos, and I'll link a short video in the description to this that I have that you can share around if you need to or refer to. But simply put, um, there are uh, at least four theodicies. That, that is what they're called, answers. How is God just in the light of this? It's a compound Greek word. And so um, a, as a result, there are four theodicies that, generally speaking, people use, Christian thinkers use when we answer this question. Uh, one of those is what is called the character-building answer, and that is to say that um, God created a world that he knew would have pain and suffering in it because he, uh, by experiencing pain and suffering, uh, it builds our moral character and integrity. And, of course, the Bible does teach that. Romans chapter 5 teaches that, and other passages teach that. that there is something about experiencing pain and suffering that develops us into better people. Um, it is true that, uh, that when you watch someone go through cancer or you yourself go through cancer, God forbid, that uh, people often talk about how it made them into a better person. Something about it had a positive result, even when sinful, wicked things happen in our lives. Uh, there are often God redeems that and uses it to some positive end to make us into better people. So that is one answer, although I don't think that's the whole uh, I don't think that answers everything. The second thing is the heaven answer, that in some sense we are experiencing all of these things. We're uh, going through, there's a story to tell, there are experiences that need to be had, and evil is a part of that, but ultimately we, we are being prepared for the day when uh, the all of this veil of tears is gone, and we are in heaven for all eternity. This is the heaven theodicy. Um, there is the reform theodicy that says, hey, look, uh, God is in control, and even when these bad things happen, wicked, evil things happen, um, he's kind of painting a beautiful picture, and he's, you know, some of these things um, that God allows to happen or on a, a more strict reform theodicy causes indirectly to happen. Uh, he has a use for those things. I don't use the reform theodicy except to say that I do think God is in control, and he is working all of this toward <clears throat> an end that is... Uh, redemptive. And then lastly, I think the engine behind these others, and the one that makes sense of all of this the most, is um, is the free will theodicy that says, look, God wanted to create a world uh, with people who love him and love each other, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, and it's only real love if it's freely given. And as a result, God gives man free will, but of course, even if you're God, if you give man free will, then you're going to have a certain amount of um, people using that, ev that freedom for evil, and so you're going to have pain and suffering and stuff like that in the world. And yet, God can redeem that evil and use it to some positive end. And it is true that every tear is going to be wiped away in heaven, and all of those things are true. But the engine behind it is the free will answer, I think. But look, whichever theodicy you take, and Christian thinkers have taken several, um, a Christian leader, a pastor, a teacher, a, a youth group leader should know how to give at least that spread that I just gave and talk about it in a reasonable way to show that there is no flat contradiction. There is no logical problem with the idea of an all powerful, all loving God, all, all knowing God, allowing for some evils to take place. Uh, there's simply no rub there because he could have some greater reason why he allows for that, some greater good that we don't see. Uh, but it looks like Alex O'Connor's uh, leaders in the church couldn't answer those questions. They just said, hey, God works in mysterious ways. We don't really know, um, and all that sort of thing. And so what did Alex do? Alex did what young people today do, and not even young people, older people today do, when church leaders don't have the answers that they're looking for. They go to the Internet because the Internet is where they go for anything today. It's where we all go uh, at least initially, to look up simple things like what's the height of that actor or uh, what's the name of that actor or what's the name of that thing I can't remember or where can I buy this particular new microphone for my YouTube channel? You know, we use the internet
internet for everything to find answers to simple everyday questions and to deep philosophical theological questions as well. And as a result, that's what he did. He said he went to Ask Jeeves, and I remember Ask Jeeves. And in fact, we're going to find out more of what he did here in just a moment. But as a result, when he went out there, what he found was uh, answers that, that were certainly not the answers that knowledgeable people in the church would have given. Now, knowledgeable people in the church should inform people of what skeptical voices are going to say. But what I showed in the video response on doubt that I did, um, uh, responding to Pine Creek just uh, recently, I pointed out studies that show um, in the journal articles that if a person experiences doubt and they do not have a close-knit circle within the church where they can share those doubts and get answers. See, it's not it, it, the evidence isn't everything in this, but it is part of it. And if you have no answers, then people aren't going to be satisfied and their doubts are not going to be assuaged. But if you have some answers and if you have this close-knit group of support, then most of those people end up growing spiritually. That's what the um, material shows. If someone in the church experiences doubts and they don't have a support group that can give them answers, they tend to drift away. And when they do that, they, in today's world, they go to the internet, where that group of support is certainly not there. And so what do they find? So, so if you're a pastor or you're a leader of some sort in your church, this is why it's so important that you have support group for people. You make it clear to people that there is a group for them, a Sunday school class, a small group, that they develop friends. That's why churches are so focused on getting people plugged in so that they build those relationships because that is very important for when doubts come that there are people there that can give those answers. Now, churches, many churches are good at building those uh, social connections and building those small groups. What they're not so good at necessarily is pushing the importance of knowing apologetic material, knowing Christian defense material. They think if we have a copy of Case for Christ laying around somewhere, that's good enough. Well, it's a great start, and Case for Christ is a great book, but there's a lot more that we could do, and it's important that we have people knowledgeable in these things. The pastor at our church has made sure that we have uh, a number of people and campus pastors who are aware of apologetic uh, information, evidences and arguments, is, uh, arguments, is, evidences and arguments for the Christian faith, and people that know how to do that so that on any given day, if we have someone who is ex who's struggling in this regard, we have a bookshelf with uh, apologetic material from the really bottom shelf stuff that is literally on the bottom shelf all the way up to the top shelf 700-page tomes, and there's a person, uh, th there's at least one person forever how many other people are in the congregation who is skilled enough that they can have those meaningful conversations. That has got to be the goal. We have got to make sure that people like that are present and resources like that are present because otherwise people needlessly drift away from the church when the there's no good reason for it. There's good evidence here, good arguments, there's good stuff. And as a result, and I really want to speak boldly here to my brothers in Christ who are in the church and sisters, we now have, as a result of that ministry not being present, wherever Cosmic Skeptic was, we now have one of the most recognizable atheist YouTubers who will probably go on to be as influential as some of the new atheists that uh, we, we've heard about for years now in, in the academic world. And it's all because, I think, at least in part, I mean, he made his own free will decisions, but it's in part because uh, this ministry was not present. Do you see the importance of this? Do you see the gravity of this? 
please, I hope you do. Um, uh, there are people out there who will be happy to come, apologists like myself and like others, who will be happy to come to your churches and to help do training like that. You just have to contact us. We want to help in this regard. I just finished my uh, DMIN major writing project on this issue. I did my uh, PhD dissertation on this issue because I want it out there. I, I don't want more of this happening, and it's very, very important that we um, that we make that an, an, an emphasis. So, uh, Cosmic Skeptic didn't get the answers that he wanted in church. And so he went somewhere else. Let's find out where he went next. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. So I think the, the online, there's a there is an atheist community online. Atheism isn't a community, but there is an atheist community um, that exists online. And, and um, I, I would say that people from people from that community, uh, nobody in particular, but they're, they're very active on like forums, uh, very active on like, you know, Places like Yahoo Answers or Reddit or whatever it might be. I'm sure that I probably just came across things like that just from everyday people. Um, people would be asking the questions on these forums saying, you know, why is there evil and suffering in the world, which is what I would have searched. Um, and they probably were in the same position as me. They really didn't know of different worldviews or what the answers might be. Um, and I was still quite young at this point. Um, and I would have just come across people, just everyday people. Um, just saying, well, hey, you know, some people don't believe in God. And from that perspective, this all makes sense. And that's probably what happened. And then as it went on, uh, as I got older, I started uh, started watching YouTube videos and finding, you know, everyone finds Richard Dawkins at some point or another. Um, he was, you know, the first person that really started to make me think, OK, there are people who are not just sort of don't just sort of question God or whatever, but fundamentally do not believe in him. Um, and then from there, you sort of you find videos of Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens and, you know, Hemant Mehta, who's great. Um, and you find the smaller YouTubers uh, and you find and then you decide to read the books. And, and as it goes on, I, I can tell you what point it happened. Um, you know, I probably just sat there reading a book, um, possibly the God delusion or God is not great or whatever it might have been. And you just read that one little convincing line and you just think, you know what, this this makes so much sense. Um, and I think that 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 was probably what um did it for me but very very gradually just a mixture of different sources um because by that time i'd realized that you know if you can't be taught something i i've been taught by by people religion i've been taught religion by people um but that was sort of by by one group of people just my school so i realized at that point that sort of taught me a very important lesson that unless a worldview or an argument can be backed up by many different people from many different angles and still make sense to you you probably shouldn't be subscribing to it and that's what happened to me. Okay, so <clears throat> first of all, do we have that with Christianity? We absolutely do. We have many people from many different angles. We've obviously got theologians, but we've also got philosophers. We've got scientists. We've got historians. We've got exactly what you're looking for. But um, let, let's back this up. So so he, he didn't get the answers he needed from the church people. So then he went to Ask Jeeves. Then he went to Reddit. And by his own admission, these are just normal people, many of them at the same stage he's at, just looking for answers to these questions, trying to work it out themselves um, with these atheist voices out there. He went to YouTube. He found the atheist YouTube community. Then he found that sense of community with, with that uh, atheist YouTube crowd. Um, what was missing? Well, he didn't say this, but it sounds like the progression was, well, what was missing? Well, some of the academic type voices, right? So, oh, I found Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and Hemant Mehta. Now, that last voice is one that I've responded to a couple of times on this channel, and he is an atheist blogger and YouTuber, okay? But he mentioned Hitchens and Dawkins and Harris, and if he had mentioned Dennett, we would have had the, the you know, the four horsemen there of, of atheism, right? 
Um, so now let's let's he talk, but he, specifically he mentioned that when he finally kind of adopted the label or kind of landed on the point of atheism, then it was probably when either reading the God Delusion by Dawkins or God is Not Great by Hitchens, both of which are on my shelf right now. And I remember reading those whenever my wife was. Uh, giving birth to our, our second daughter, like not at that very moment, but you know, when she was in the hospital, I was reading uh, God is Not Great, somewhere around the same period whenever uh, uh, the God delusion came out, I read that too. And what many atheists will tell you, what many atheists will tell you, and certainly any Christian apologist who's read them will tell you, is these don't really represent academic responses. Because while Richard Dawkins may be an academic with respect to biology, his field of study. He's a terrible philosopher, like a terrible philosopher, so much so that Michael Roos, uh, who's an atheist philosopher, said about uh, one of the key elements of the God delusion that it made him ashamed to be an atheist. So th there's nothing about the God delusion that ought to make you an atheist. Um, as far as Christopher Hitchens, God is not great. Nothing that really destroys the theistic arguments or the resurrection case. Uh, Hitchens was uh, was great with rhetoric. He was an incredible, inspired debater, but not because necessarily of content, because he had just such a way with words and was so good at argument itself and presentation. Um, I admired him about that. I did a video deconstructing uh, Hitchens, uh, and, and I understand that he's not here to defend himself, and I say that the beginning that I understand that's not fair, but he's a voice that's still impacting people. And so I've responded to all these voices, and, and there's just not anything really there that should make someone an atheist. But it does give the... Now, Sam Harris, that's a little bit better, uh, but there's still nothing there that hasn't... I mean, if Sam Harris's stuff alone should not, should not be the linchpin. If you're looking for something comprehensive, Sam Harris alone is not going to get you there. He has some great stuff on morality. He has some great stuff on free will. And by great, I mean uh, greatly debated, uh, greatly received by a lot of different people. Um, but we've responded, and I've responded to Sam Harris also on this channel. But the, the point is, uh, I'll give you Sam Harris as an academic voice on this issue. But the, ultimately, what you have there is like the illusion of an academic seal of approval on these things, that smart people can be atheists and that, that whole thing, and a community of YouTube atheists here. And, um, and that because of that, this now became a position for him. He moved off of it, uh, off of Christianity and onto this position of atheism. Now, this is where I want to get into some very specific stuff, and it's where there's a little bit of psychoanalysis. And so if this doesn't stick to Alex, I'm not saying this is definitely what happened to Alex. What I am saying is, if you lay Alex's testimony on top of this, it fits hand in glove. It fits hand in glove. So whenever we adopt a new position, whenever we move, that can be a very difficult process. Now, when Alex talks about his upbringing, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this was the case with him uh, because of the level of religious devotion or whatever that he was around. But it can be a very grueling process when when you're when you're being when you're seeing that the evidence leads you away from something that you, that you thought was true and wanted to be true. It can be very very difficult. Some people just won't do it. Uh, I don't think you have to do that with Christianity because I think Christianity is true. But with any issue, when you're when even within Christianity on certain doctrinal and theological perspectives, when you're moving positions, it can be very difficult. Uh, one of the reasons is because it can mean that the stuff that you had said out loud to a lot of people and perhaps passionately argued for, you're now not sure of. You think maybe you're wrong about that. 
Um, and, and that is going to be, that's going to be humbling, right? And so it can be a difficult thing. And when it's a paradigm shift in your worldview that kind of affects a lot of different things. Well, now this, this can be almost insurmountable emotionally and psychologically, but there's something amazing that happens for a lot of people. When you finally do that, when you finally make that move, as we mentioned in the last episode about Rhett from Good Mythical Morning, there is this sense of liberation. There is this sense of enthusiasm, this, and, and it results in a bit of a sense of pride for most people because there's something inside of us that wants to go out of the nest, right, and go kind of conquer the world on our own and make our own way and arrive at our own conclusions. And that's why people in their early 20s usually do, some, do engage in some kind of a deconstruction of their worldview and kind of take it apart and put it back together. And so as a result, uh, some things often change. And when those things change... Because we kind of came to that on our own, because we kind of departed from uh, that particular view that our parents might have held, or that whatever person we respect, like a, a youth pastor, or a pastor, or a priest, might have held, there's a certain amount of um, pride that one takes in that. And then that extends to the community that represents that, that is like-minded with you in that new, that new uh, fold, so to speak. And the people who are the intellectual champions of that p- new position become your champions. And, because, and this is key. Because you're able now to talk about these things at a level that is a bit higher than most of the normal, everyday folks in your life, uh, because, you, because you have made this a really important issue for you and you've studied it to a great degree, you may not be an expert, but you know a little more about it than a lot of the people that you interact with every day who are taking certain things for granted. So when they try to challenge you on it or push back, you're able to respond better and, and in a way that is more compelling because you've made this a particular area of study. And that too kind of makes you proud and kind of confirms to you that you were right in this move. Now, this happens to Christians, this happens to atheists, this happens on political uh, ideologies, this happens uh, on within Christianity uh, about particular doctrinal issues, but this happens and it serves to confirm what you now believe so that while it may have been very difficult to move off of that old position, it is now going to be almost insurmountable to move back to that position that you once held. And it's for this reason that when people talk about, hey, you can tell I'm all about the evidence because I used to be a Christian and now I'm an atheist. Even though I didn't want to, I followed that evidence. And I don't want to take away from that. That is something that can cause persecution in your life, can be very difficult, um, can, can be psychologically very difficult and, and um, traumatic, frankly. And I don't want to take away from that at all. But once you're there, it doesn't mean that it's just as easy to go back. Once you're there, now you have a new community. And we're going to get to that in just a few moments. Now, again, if this isn't your experience, if you're just not wired that way and, that, and you're different than the way a lot of people are, that's fine. Then don't, don't take this personally. Don't get offended. But that does happen. And then once you move, it's very difficult to go back. And so at this point, I want to show you a clip uh, that kind of talks about how this can happen. This is from um, ASAP Science. Let's hear what uh, they have to say about this. To think that information or indisputable studies would convince us in an argument, but study after study shows that when certain facts don't conform to our beliefs, our brains are happy to disregard or simply rationalize them away. In one study, scientists asked people if they believed in man-made climate change and then categorized them as either believers or deniers. They then 
Hansen told some that scientists had reevaluated the data and concluded that predictions for the future were much worse than before, while some others were told the situation wasn't nearly as bad as once thought. But these facts had an interesting result on their beliefs. People who didn't believe in climate change and were told that things were going to be much worse completely ignored this fact and their opinions were unchanged. But if they were told that things weren't nearly as bad, their beliefs moved much farther in that direction. And the same thing happened to those who believed strongly in climate change. When told that things are now predicted to be worse, they shifted their opinions more strongly in that direction, whereas those told it wouldn't be so bad didn't change their opinions at all. The facts only caused people to polarize. It turns out that once formed, people's impressions and opinions are extremely perseverant, and cognitive scientists say much of this is actually linked to our ability as humans to cooperate, a skill that no other animal has to the degree that humans do. From hunting and gathering to agriculture and modern computers, our cooperation allows us to rely on one another's expertise instead of knowing everything. As a result, we can hardly tell where our own understanding ends and another begins. Ultimately, strong beliefs don't actually come from deep understanding. At least not all the time, although it does play a role. Now, remember what I said a while ago, someone's going to move off of a view. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for someone to uh, remain in a view, even if there's a community there, if there's just if they if they need evidence and there's just no evidence at all and even evidence they consider to be to the alternative, like with the problem of evil, when your priest is standing there not giving you anything, okay? But you'll notice one thing that was said in the video very subtly is once they arrive at these beliefs, or once they, they uh, adopt these beliefs, um, then it becomes very difficult, and we kind of become dug in, and we begin to do a little bit of what could be referred to as um, confirmation bias, where, like with the, with the climate change issue, um, if something doesn't fit your particular perspective, you kind of ignore it. But if it confirms it, oh, yeah, I told you, I knew all along, that's what happens. Now, I think that someone like Cosmic Skeptic, more than most people, is, uh, at least on paper, seems more resistant to this. There are certain people who are aware that they need to limit their bias, and I would hope that's true of him. Um, Mike Lycona talks about this a lot whenever he was doing his study on the resurrection of Jesus, that he got to a place where um, he was so trying to limit his bias because we all have biases. And so he said he had tried so hard to limit his bias that at one night he was laying in bed with his wife and he told her, he, she, he said, I just don't know. I, I think God exists, but beyond that, I don't know. And so he had so tried to limit his bias that he got to a point of uh, at least momentary agnosticism about the resurrection of Jesus, which uh, perhaps was helpful in terms of the attempted neutrality of his discussion about the resurrection, his investigation of that, but, um, but was dangerous for his faith, I guess. But hey, guess what? He came around to the idea that the evidence does actually stack up, although his views on how the Gospels work and all that, minor changes were made, you know, because of the evidence that he found. And so what we've got to do is we've always got to stay We've always got to fight to, to stay non-biased whenever we're considering evidence. And so whenever that happens, uh, but, but see, when you adopt a new group, a new, a new uh, position, it can be very, very difficult for you then to really consider going back um, to where you used to be or to, uh, and we're good at, at brushing off answers. Now, one thing that I want you to notice that he said was that Cosmic Skeptic said that he was in a position where 
He was listening to internet atheists, right? Reddit users of all people. Then he started listening to YouTube atheists, not academic voices, just professional YouTube atheists, right? Then what did he do? He listened to some of the academic voices, or at least the ones that seemed academic. Uh, you can make a case for academic, and in at least one case was. And, uh, and then, I, I don't know if we let it play far enough. Oh, let's, let's hear the last thing he did, because this is where we find that this clip from ASAP Science, I think, really plays in to how he then approached what happened next. So, uh, let's see. Here we go. Yeah, well, I, I would say that at first I was probably quite guilty of being, um, I turned into somewhat of a dogmatic atheist. I wasn't uh, particularly vocal about it. Um, at that point, but in my own mind, I was I was sort of convinced by these intellectuals that there was no God, and I was probably very much like in my head, um, very arrogant about it. And it was only sort of after I after I'd been doing that for a while that I took a step back and thought, well, you know what? Um, let, let's be fair about this. You know, I like I wanted to start talking about it. I wanted to start um, debating people and and having conversations. But I realised that when people would say certain things. Um, I wouldn't always know what to say, and it struck me that I hadn't really properly considered some of the more sophisticated arguments for um, any particular religion, because uh, back when I was an actual Christian, I was only hearing the sort of fundamental arguments. So I took a while to sort of look into other people's points of view, uh, reading the Bible, reading books by uh, religious authors, watching videos by mm -hmm. religious um, by religious people and, and trying to understand where they're coming from and trying to point out the flaws and critique their arguments. Um, and yeah, I, it was, uh, that, that was, and then I realized that, that when I wanted to talk about these things, it started as a philosophical endeavor. Um, it started off as like, I'm interested in, you know, the existence of God, let's talk about it. And then it became sort of an activist kind of thing. I saw that the yeah, so it ultimately resulted in his activism. Now, I, I want you to notice here what happened. So he, he, he first landed on atheism. So he began to investigate, read it, YouTube, read some books, uh, popular level atheist popularizer books like that. Then he decided, I'm an atheist. Okay, somewhere in there, it was gradual, it didn't happen overnight, but somewhere in there, he landed on atheism. And then... After he landed on atheism, he thought, I want to talk about this, but man, I don't know how to answer some of these things. I don't know how to respond to some of these uh, things that people are going to say back to me. In other words, he ended up encountering some, it sounds like some Christian intellectual voices who were posing good responses that he didn't quite know how to respond to, right? So what does he do? Now I've got to, I've got to look at some of the actual... You know, I don't know how to deal with this, so I've got to go look at some of these things. And, and then he says, uh, when he began to look at these other voices out there, um, he, he began to uh, look at them, talk about them, critique them, to try to point out the flaws in them, he says. Now, the reason I bring this up is, uh, by this point, he, was very much, he very much was in the in-group of YouTube atheism before he really encountered some of these more in-depth, difficult, I'm just telling you what he's saying, more in-depth, philosophical, difficult, quite, that he didn't know how to answer. So now he's already sold, so that when he comes to that, is he going to be in the group that's, now, he may be unlike most people, he may be some kind of an android from another planet who's able to completely be non-biased, but if he's like most people, is he going to 
be the kind of person who is wired up to believe it or to be more skeptical and to uh, of of the Christian arguments to the contrary. Um, he can endeavor to be non-biased, but now he's in. He's in this group over here. And how he got in this group was not because someone defeated the best arguments for the Christian faith. Nobody had any answers, even simple answers about Christianity. And he ended up adopting this on the back of Reddit and YouTube. And we'll throw in the, you know, similar voices of the God delusion and God's not great. And only now is he encountering the best evidence, but now he's already in. You say, well, yeah, but so what? He could change his mind. He could. He could. And I hope he does. But looking at that point of his life, I want to show you something else from the ASAP Science video. Now, listen to this. Finally, humans are known to have something called an in-group and out-group bias. We tend to be skeptical of outsiders or people who we see as different from us. This can come in the form of race, religion, physical traits, gender, but also in the form of ideas. So people who don't share your ideas are part of your out-group. Studies have been done to show that if you can find a way to relate to people and have them see you in a different light, to see you as part of their in-group, they're much more likely to listen to you than if they think you are nothing like them. So this is just how human beings are. This is just a, a, a fact about human psychology. We tend to be this way. We tend to say, this is my in-group, that's my out-group. And so I think there was a little bit of a, of a revealing of this in his words, but I don't want to psychologize him too much. But when Cosmic Skeptic went to look at those more deeply philosophical, uh, more intellectual, academic arguments that did not come from the fundamentalist, as he termed them, by this point, he's already in the in-group of Internet atheism or atheism. And he's built that community, that support group, right? And now those people out there are the out-group. And now he's trying to hear what they're saying, but not in the way he necessarily might have heard it when his in-group was Christianity. And he could have assessed that in, uh, from that angle. And so the point that I want to make is evidence is important to how we judge things. But your group, the group that you're a part of, um, and uh, how you view those other people can impact what you listen to how much credibility you give to it, and whether you're listening to it necessarily to be convinced or listening to it so that you can point out the flaws in it. Now, again, that may not be what's going on with Alex. It may not be, and I don't want to be uncharitable to him. So all of you who are going to put into the, into the comments, well, you're just being uncharitable to Alex, that may not be what's going on with Alex, but it is what happens with a lot of people, Christian and atheist, and when you lay these facts down on top of what we're discussing, it does fit generally the mold. So uh, what, I, what I want us to do is, now you might say the, the natural response, the response I would make if I was an atheist is, well, yeah, but hold on a second. I could say the same thing right back to you, Braxton. Christianity has its own in-group, doesn't it? And Christianity is a little more skeptical about the, or, or a little uh, more quick to uh, reject facts that may not line up with, you know, people who are Christians might be more quick to reject facts that would not be hospitable to what they think about their Christian faith. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It goes both ways. But here's the thing. We need to be, especially in the church, we need to be open to... In, uh, Christianity is not the least bit and should not be the least bit self-conscious in the marketplace of ideas. We shouldn't run from facts. 
Now, we, we shouldn't just pigeonhole the type of facts or the type of sources we look at, we, but we should be willing to look at the facts on both sides, and here's why. Because if Christianity is true, as I'm boldly proclaiming that it is, those facts aren't going to scare me. I'm looking for the truth, and I'm confident Christianity is the truth. Now, it may, it may augment facts I may learn from Scripture or from without Scripture, from science, from philosophy, from history, um, from life experience. Facts may augment uh, and show me that I misunderstood a particular passage of Scripture. I may learn something about genre that I didn't understand when it comes to the Bible. Um, there may be things that, that impact, but if Christianity is true, I don't have to be afraid of the facts. I just have to be willing to change where I'm wrong about something. But Christianity will stand the test of time. So Christians shouldn't be afraid of that. Do we have an in-group? Yeah, we do. We have an in-group, and that support group is important. When somebody comes into the body of Christ, we're quick to plug them in. Now, I want to tell you something that perhaps the church leaders don't, aren't aware of, but YouTube atheism, whether it was an intentional or unintentional thing, there is a, a framework of support very much like that in the online a, uh, youth, uh, um, atheist YouTube community. I made a video about this, um, four, view, or four types of atheist YouTubers, that I think is really good, uh, if I do say so, because I think what it does is it shows how there are different types of atheists. I think that uh, Alex O'Connor is an evidentialist first and an activist second. But largely speaking, they're evidentialists, they're activists, they're provocateurs who use a lot of bold um, language that can sometimes be profane and can include mockery. And then there are the psychologers, uh, psychologizers who um, are less interested in talking about the evidence and more interested in talking about how you got to the belief that you hold. And you get some people like that in street epistemology and sorts, those sorts of things. But, but I think that there is a support structure there, and among uh, activists, um, sometimes there is a real pastoral care element to that. They've got their own conferences now. They've got, um, uh, they obviously have their own books. They've, they're, really, they're really doing this to create their in-group that gets people, like Cosmic Skeptic, plugged in so that now they don't fall away from atheism very easily. <clears throat> that, on top of the natural sense of liberation and pride that you have when you change on any position makes it very, very difficult for someone to come back out. This means that on the front end, for you Christian pastors and, and youth leaders and, and whatever else out there, you have got to make sure that on the front end, we are the in-group that we are supposed to be in the body of Christ and that we have that support group and that we are presenting um, the answers to these questions. Because here's the deal, we have answers, we have the truth. But these facts are still there about how human psychology works. And we need to rely on the Holy Spirit and pray for these people, but we also need to do everything we can humanly to care for other people in the body of Christ to make sure this doesn't happen. And I want to make it clear that it's because of this sort of thing that we end up with, because we weren't prepared, we end up with people walking away and at least in the case of Alex O'Connor, cosmic skeptic, has now become one of the most influential voices for atheism on the planet today. Why? Because the Christian leaders in his life were not prepared to give an answer. By the way, because of this uh, confirmation bias that we can all engage in, because of this in-group, out-group sort of thing, this is also why you've heard me say, despite what people want to say about you can't choose what you believe, you very much can choose what you believe. One of the ways that you choose what you believe, it's, it's called indirect doxastic voluntarism. And one of the ways we do it is we choose what we're going to allow to impact us based on what we would like to be true. So while you may not be able to just choose to believe 
something X, you know, choose to believe that young earth creationism is true or that evolution is true or that, um, you know, whatever thing you want to believe, you may not be able to just make yourself believe it, but you can choose to believe it indirectly by choosing what you're going to reject, like the little cartoon with the climate change thing. And atheists do it and Christians do it. But here's the thing, Christians, we don't have to be afraid of the facts, but we, we do need to be aware that these things are in play and we need to make sure we have the proper ministries set up. For atheists out there, what I would say is I, I think there are a lot of you out there who ended up as atheists because the people in your church didn't have answers <clears throat> or there was something you found to be problematic about some young earth creationist thing. I, I'm telling you, I've, I look at, at what's going on among atheist YouTube channels because I'm, I'm, I'm basically at this point a response channel and I'm responding to videos. And so I'm looking at all of them. You don't know how many of them I notice. Almost the totality of the channel is wrapped up in responding to young earth creationism. And as a result, that tells me something. And, and I've listened to some of the testimonies. It's so common that it was a, a rejection of young earth creationism that led to ultimately atheism. And there's a lot of territory in between that gets skipped over. And what I think happens, I really believe this happens, is there's, there's a slide toward atheism, and before one ever gets to the rigorous philosophical um, scientific challenges that, that may or may not have anything to do with younger creationism, by the time you get to that, just like we saw the cosmic skeptic, you've already identified with a new in-group. You've already started to recognize that's where your identity lies. There's already that sense of liberation and somewhat pride that you've got this position now, that you've landed in this new place, that you kind of forged your own way. And now it's going to be very, very difficult for you to bring your bias down enough to go back. And so I just think be aware of that. And perhaps my call to you would be, to intentionally attempt to lower that bias enough to consider the very best voices. Um, I like doing videos where we talk about the evidence. I've got a lot more videos on that than I do anything else, and I encourage you to go check those out. Check out the stuff I've got on the, the best arguments for God's existence. We've got them in a playlist on this channel for Christianity, the resurrection stuff. We've got that in a playlist. I've got debates. You can go check those out. Check out stuff from other reputable, credible channels. Go to Reasonable Faith. Go to uh, some of these other channels and listen to what they have to say and read books. Don't just get all this from YouTube and don't just read from uh, popularizers. Read some of the stuff that comes from Oxford University Press and stuff like that. Read the journal articles. Read the secondary literature. What you're going to find, I think, is that if you remain an atheist, it won't be because there's not evidence. It won't be because there's not evidence. There's evidence. Is, does it give you certainty? No, it may not give you absolute 100% certainty, but is that important? We don't have that for much of anything in life. So ultimately, if you remain an atheist, you don't have to. You don't have to. So I encourage you to do that. Check it out. And I encourage the Christian leaders out there that we've got to do better than this. Again, Cosmic Skeptic, um, uh, he seems like a very nice guy. His um, interest is admirable. Um, and I'm, I'm only commenting on what he said. The psychologizing about what happens with most people lays on top of what he said, but it may not be true of him. Anyway, I've enjoyed this time that we've had together. And I look forward to seeing you next time on Trinity Radio.